think they confuse like a nice person with a good manager, right? A good manager right. is somebody who will push you, someone that you will constantly be learning from. If you're not constantly learning and upping your game and they're not helping you do that, they're not doing their job. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co, your number one resource for guidance, tools, and connections to confidently achieve your next marketing career milestone. So first, I want to give a quick thanks to our premier sponsor, LinkedIn Learning. Listen, upskilling is a must for everybody, for any marketer, and we've curated a list of those hard skills for you. So just head on over to themarketinghelp.co forward slash LinkedIn Learning and start developing those new marketing skills right now. All right, so today's episode, listen, I've been fortunate um, to get one of the best marketing executives in the space to join me on this episode. Now, that person is Jerry McGoldrick. Now, he's not just a close friend and mentor, but he's actually someone that has experienced pretty much every role in marketing in a marketing career path you could ever want. So from an entry-level ad buyer uh, to an agency founder, to VP of a public company, to an independent consultant to even to be at the one-man show, head of marketing for early-stage and well-funded startups, to even spending some time as a chief revenue officer uh, and also chief marketing officer. So, listen, he's amassed a ton of tips and insights that we wanted to capture on the, the conversation today. And he's going to share some of his learnings and stories on agency roles, winning clients, how to identify a bad marketing manager, insider tips on your next uh, for your next marketing interview, because he's got a couple good ones there. And you're going to want to listen to every tip Jerry's got to share in this conversation. Now, if you listen, you'll notice, you know, this was recorded after a long day of Zoom meetings that he had. So you notice Jerry's voice is a little bit fried, but listen, he still delivers the value. Great insights, great tips. Here's my conversation with marketing leader and legend, Jerry McGoldrick. And we're here with Jerry McGoldrick. He is a marketing executive, digital transformation leader actually a personal mentor of mine as well. Uh, stellar guitar player and just a hell of a nice guy. Jerry, welcome to the episode. Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me, buddy. <laughs> sure. So uh, as you know, we've been trying to plan this for, for a while, and I do appreciate you joining us here. But here's why. Here's what I'm excited about in this, in this conversation is, especially your background in marketing and everything you've done in marketing up until your current role, I think there's a ton of information we can pull and uh, share with other marketers that are trying to figure out their career, whether they're just starting or they're looking for the next promotion, or uh, we'll talk about some things that you've learned in a marketing management position that I think everybody in that level will enjoy as well. But let's just start by um, maybe just give us a sense for what it is you're doing now in your current marketing role. Uh, so I, uh, I work for a major life sciences company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in charge of running a digital channel strategy and services group. And basically, I'm responsible for everything on the web. It's more of a op- uh, marketing operations role, which is interesting to me. It's something I've not necessarily done as a focus. It's been part of my job, but um, it's very so, we, you know, we're responsible for all the U.S. Uh, properties uh, for our company. So um, everything from the portals that we that we own to the uh, all the brand sites, um, and as well as um, the non-promotional sites. Um, so it, it's and in addition to that, I'm in charge of um, the emerging channels, 
bringing emerging channels to uh, to the company, as well as marketing automation, um, email, um, and digital publishing, which is basically kind of taking the code and uh, making it ready for the web. So it sounds like you're 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 interacting with many different departments. Uh, but again, sounds like one of the interesting parts of the of the role is that I work with. You know, being that it's in life sciences, you know, heavily regulated, I work with everybody from legal to regulatory to analytics to IT to uh, marketing to the brand marketing um, and and everyone across the board. So, Got it. Okay, good stuff. So in these Career Moments episodes, we... we like to kind of dig into the the path that got you to where you are today. So again, in the role you're in now, interfacing with a lot of things. And again, like you said, you're in charge of all things digital. Um, I think most people don't know that you started your career as an accountant. So how did you end up going from accounting into the world of marketing agencies? Well, I thought the contract stipulated we would not mention the account <laughs> partner. Um, and there are no brown M&Ms in the green room. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I was uh, an accountant. As, as I, I majored in accounting and did co-ops in accounting and took a full-time job in accounting. And uh, I really didn't like it. And I think that um, I made the switch. I went to film school with the idea to make commercials mm-hmm. um, and realized that everyone saw my accounting background and asked and said, why don't you take a job with the media department? Uh, so I took a job um, in the media department of a small agency that no longer exists in Philadelphia. And then I ended up really liking it and never moving over. <coughs> and that was more traditional at the time. It was in the early 90s. And so it was it was TV, radio, outdoor, um, print, um, the like. And I think it's a good lesson for people because you really got to I, I love what I do. I've always loved what I do. I have many friends who don't love what they do. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like um, I've been able to kind of move along in my career because of the fact that I love it. So if you're doing something, and you don't like it, you know, and especially early on in your career, you know, make that change, figure it out, figure out what it is you need to do. Now there are always extenuating circumstances around, you know, that you need a job and all that, but, I think in today's world, there's a lot of opportunity for you to to kind of forge your own path and really figure out what you want to do. And you may not make a lot of money off the bat, um, but if you enjoy, I, I'm a true believer that if you enjoy what you do, um, the money will come, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it turns out to be secondary. Right. So, so <clears throat> going into your going into the the, the agency field, um, you know. Is it recommended for those looking to get a start in marketing? Maybe you don't know where to start or what to do. Is, is agency field recommended just to kind of get your feet wet or maybe just to get an exposure to something that's more fast paced? I, I think it's, yeah, it's a little bit about the pace, but I do think it's a great place to start because you get exposure to a lot of different things. So if you're trying to figure, you want to do marketing, you're trying to figure out where you want to go, working in an agency gives you exposure to, media and and client management and creative and technology and social these days right mm-hmm. and I, you know i have two daughters one works on the client side and one works on the agency side and 
uh, it's interesting to hear their different perspectives on on you know what what life now is like at the agency world versus client side. And you know, I feel like had I not, and I'll just kind of sum it up in saying what I tell my daughter on the agency side, who sometimes gets you know a little stressed or overwhelmed by that 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 lifestyle, if you will, sure that environment. That you know, I don't know. I think I ended up where I am because I was able to have that vast wide net of experience and was able to kind of like call it down. And so it allowed me to have a lot of different roles throughout the career, like not even, you know, I went from media to really, um, you know, running um, groups, running, you know, divisions of companies that were marketing focused um, where I was, you know, responsible for not only media, but also um, the creative, the development, you know, technology, things like that. And I think that, that kind of, and then as I sort of got to this point, I was looking for a new challenge, something that would kind of keep me interested, you know, as my, I'm at the highlight of the, um, the, you know, sunset of my career. Um, (laughs) uh, It really, you know, all that experience kind of came together for this role where I tap into what I did on the agency side, what I did on the client side, what I did when I was in sales. So I spent some time, you know, as a chief revenue officer for a startup, an analytics platform. Uh, and and really, you know, I would say that, <clears throat> especially when you're on the agency side, you know, and, and even on the client side, you're always going to be selling. Right. Um, so, you know, when people say like, oh, well, you weren't, a, you're not a salesperson. If you want to be a salesperson, you need to figure out how to position yourself. Because if you've been working in an agency and talking to clients or you're, working in an internal client and you've been, you know, you have to, as we say, um, you know, influence without authority. Um, you know, it's all sales, right? You're, you're convincing people to do things that they may or may not want to do. So I think that's, what's great about marketing is that it gives you that, that full breadth of, of, uh, experience. So sticking with the agency environment, cause I know we've both spent a ton of time there and we have stories for for days about uh working with clients but no a lot of our audience does work at agency side and you know based on your experience having worked with a ton of different clients in different industries different types of clients uh is there one you know sweeping tip or key tip you can give to somebody working for an agency on how to effectively manage a difficult client because listen let's be honest there's (laughs) there's there's clients and then there's difficult clients. Um, what would you recommend there for someone who's dealing with a difficult client? Difficult is relative, I know, but what do you think? Well, I think don't take it personally. Um, what I found is you're going to have good days, and you're going to have bad days, and you know you're going to get yelled at by clients. And then you know I have a lot of clients that were difficult and not difficult, and a lot of the more difficult ones have turned out to be friends. And when I bring up stories of like oh do you remember when i you know did this and you know I'll, I'll i'll just throw out perry cooper from the nhl as an example right um they don't really they don't remember that right. um they remember that i was good at my job my team was good at their job and and the little thing while it seems really big at the moment um unless it's a major major mistake but you know nine times out of ten the client's not going to remember that they're just reacting in the moment. So deal with it, learn from it, 
make sure you, you try your best never to do it again, but don't take it personally and don't feel like, and don't let it affect you long-term because by the time they're getting out of that meeting, they've already forgotten about it. Right. For the most part. And so, and also they're humans, right? So connect with them on a human level in, in that, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, just like we do, right? They're not any better than we are. Most of them and, do. Right. And you remember, <laughs> you remember that and just like, remember that, you know, like it, you know, don't let it shake your confidence because they miss, you know, chances are they were in your, in your seat at some point in their career as well. Mm-hmm. And so they get it, but just don't be afraid to communicate. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Okay. I, I understand you feel I did something wrong. Tell me what I did wrong. Tell me what you think I can do better next time. What do you think, you know, I can do to avoid this in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, basically say, but, but don't like, also I would say, stay on your ground. Um, you know, like I found that clients really appreciate when, you know, they're, if they, if they're yelling at you and they're a difficult client and they're, they're most likely just testing you. But if you stay on your ground and push back respectfully, you know, they're going to come to respect you for that. Because what I found is a lot of times they're just trying to see how far they can get with you. Um, and I do that now that I'm on the client side. Right. Um, I was going to get to that about uh, how, what what learning you, you've taken now that you've been to the other side. But when it comes to those difficult clients, I mean, what I can say is, you know, something I've learned by watching you and working together is that you're a master when it comes to those client relationships by focusing on the fact that we're all human. Cause you know, we've all uh, experienced some of those clients that made us want to just crawl in a corner. Uh, but you're right. I mean, after we get past the error and we recognize the mistake or we let them blow steam off and, and, you know, we're the one throat to choke, so to speak. Uh, they pick up the call when we call back or, or message out, you know, after the fact. So, and it's, it's never really, it's always the small things. I've been saying this for a long time. Agencies don't get fired for bad strategy. They, they mostly get fired for the little things like not, you know, sending emails and, and decks constantly with typos and errors and wrong numbers, little things like that, that add up and just, you know, and so you really have to focus on correcting your mistake, course correcting, and really getting on a path that's, um, you know, better than, than mm-hmm. the previous one. Because if you if you just try to like, you know, you just if you just keep making the same mistakes over again, that's when clients get mad. Right. And right. That- they, and because I've been on, I you know, I've been on the receiving end. I've also been in my position you know, the one who takes the calls, you know, like, you know, oh, this one, it was never like they didn't deliver a great strategy or they didn't do a great, you know, campaign. It's always like, I'm, like they keep spelling my name wrong <laughs> in, in the deck. I spell my name with a J, not a G, you know, kind of thing. And so sure. <clears throat> just be careful, just be, you know, focused on what you're doing. And make sure, and I know I, I smile a little bit because, as you know, I had my old 10 before you send, sure, um, which I still use and tell people, and that is take 10 minutes to review the email you're about to send to the client um, before you send it. And I'm trying not to laugh, but I'm just <laughs> picturing any GSI people because that's where I came up with it, where sure. 
we were, I was constantly fielding phone calls about mistakes and emails and decks and stuff. And that's where I came up with the 10 before you send, because it really just came down to the fact that they were just writing it and sending it. Yep. Yeah. So guilty. Um, <laughs> I wonder if we, did we, we never secured that domain, did we? Um, <laughs> so, so the thing about agencies that's interesting. And again, your perspective is key on this because, um, you know, in your roles on the agency side, and again, we had our own agency together, but but pitching clients, what's the number one tip you have for when you're in competition when pitching clients? <laughs> what is what is the tip you can give somebody who's trying to build their client base, whether it's a small agency or a large agency? What what is the is there a tactic that you recommend um that never failed when it comes to winning business? Uh do your homework. Um again. You can come up with the greatest ideas, but if you walk in the room thinking you know everything and you don't, that's a problem. And Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, So many times I've seen, you know, on the client side, you just get the, you know, you get an RFP and it was like, well, you totally missed the boat. Yeah, I thought I might, but it's like, well, why didn't you call me and ask me? Right? Like use as an opportunity to talk to the client. Don't feel like they sent you the RFP. And they're expecting you to know everything. They're expecting you to get questions, right? And 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 have questions. And so, really, ask the ask good questions. Ask a lot of questions, and and learn about the business and what they're really trying to do. And then take your capabilities and and really. And I know it sounds simple, but it's not. You know, and 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 hone those capabilities and your strengths to. What the needs of those of the of the of the what the objective of that brand or that business is? Because so many uh, what I've seen um, and and I've had to fight against it on the agency side, and I've I've seen it come through on the client side. They'll just send you what they think you want, or they'll send you, you know, you know, for example, in a in a regulated environment like finance or insurance or or, or pharmaceutical, mm-hmm. you know, like they'll come up with what stuff they want to do and they have no, there's no consideration of compliance and regulatory and all that kind of stuff. And it just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know what we do, right? Like we would never be able to do that. Um, and so, and don't sell yourself against the, the competition. Like don't bad mouth the competition. Mm-hmm. Recognize that they're there because they are, you know, as good as, or, you know, they're as good as you are but you have to figure out how to be better. And it's that one thing. And that's what we always spent a lot of time on doing pitches was what's that one thing that's going to make us stand out. Right. Uh, and, West coast hours, know, West coast hours. Right? One other thing would be not to decide to wear glasses for the first time in a client pitch and then put them on and fall back out of your chair because the whole room started spinning. But anyway, um, I just recently started wearing glasses, so that was not me. Um, but yeah, I mean, find that one thing that like really, you know, your your the RP I, I believe is kind of a a, a bogus yeah. process. Um, I feel like it's really about the ideas that you bring, and you don't need to bring a whole lot. Like I, you know, our friend Mike Welsh, you know, he used to say like you know four or five slides, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise of that was one idea mm-hmm. and get that one idea across and that's going to make you stand out as opposed to you come in with a 70 page deck and you're going all over the place 
talking about social and talking about video and talking about, you know, paid search and talking about content syndication. And meanwhile, they're just like, I don't know. I can tell you, I've been in those meetings where I'm being presented to. And it's like, I have no idea what they're good at or they're not good at. And they're just rifling out through their, their uh, capabilities deck. And, and that's what we did with true action GSI, you know, GSI interactive true action is, if you remember, you know, we walked in and basically we were doing email for the majority of clients, right? Mm-hmm. And the strategy that we put in place was, let's be good at one thing. Let's get in on one thing, do really well on that, find out what they need, what their gaps are. So we would look at their paid search and say, okay, that's not great. Let's talk to them about what the problems are. Let's get in with affiliate marketing. Let's get in with email and do a great job there. And then that will lead to the conversations that say, hey, do you do this, sir? Can you do this for me as well? Mm -hmm. You do that. So don't always try to go in and boil the ocean, Mm -hmm. get every service possible. Right. Talk about, you know, if you focus more on what your your key uh, strength is, I think you, you could be more successful. And the missed opportunity, you're right, is that a lot of agencies uh, will lean on the awards and the, yeah, but we work with these clients, yeah. but I mean, how successful were we as a small agency taking on big agencies, but we did a better job of knowing their business um, right. with keyword searches and recommendations, things like that. So it was prior to, it was prior to us meeting, but um, when I was at an agency in Delaware called Inside Interactive Group and um <coughs> Matt McNally and I were um, given a chance to pitch the J&J business. And we were going up against Digitas, who at the time, still a large agency, but at the time they were like the behemoth. And it was for a really complicated uh, drug for a pharma company um, called chemotherapy-related anemia. And we looked at their media buy, and it was all run of site. They were spending like $14 million dollars they had a $4.2 million deal with AOL, just to tell you when it was. And it was all run of site. And so we went in and said, no, we're going to create a chemotherapy-related anemia area, and we're going to only talk to people about this that are interested. Mm-hmm. We're not going to waste your money. And that was the big idea, and that's what won us to. And at the time, it, it, you know, the Inside Interactive Crew was, was all development, web development, and then really it was just Matt and I. Right. Um, and we went in and won the Johnson Johnson business. And then we had to figure out what the hell we were going to do from there, build out the team and all that kind of stuff. But it was that one idea that allowed us to take that business away from Digitas. And I'd like to apologize to Kelly Burke again. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. So um, again, uh, so agency insights and some tips there, which is great. Now I want to also focus in on because of your experience and you listen, you worked in all the the types of marketing roles that, all of our audience either is working in or wants to work in. So you did spend some time, you mentioned earlier about working for a startup and in a startup role. And again, startup relative definition, but working for a company that is maybe in a early seed round or really bootstrapping their efforts. But again, to be a marketer in that environment, what's that like? You got to be scrappy. Um, it's, it's, it can be really fun and it can be really not fun. Um, <laughs> it's probably... Uh, like if you can't handle an agency environment, you're not going to ha- be able to handle a startup environment because it's agency world, you know, multiplied by a thousand. Um, you have to like figure out how to do things, you know, 
things that would never, you know, that, that you don't have to necessarily pay for, right? You have to, you know, scrap and say, and really like work with your, with your partners, you know, to get the things that you, that you want because you don't have the money there necessarily. Like now, if you work at, you know, you, you come into some, uh, some cash, that's a whole different story, mm-hmm. but still the difference is, is that you're, you're, you're being held more strictly to a bottom line when you're with a startup. But I loved, I worked at a few different startups and I, I loved it because of the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, like how do we solve this problem with, you know, limited funds. And I think the, the, the formula that I used in all of them for the most part was it was about like, you know, don't go out and start spending on paid search and other, you know, direct marketing uh, tactics before anybody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> in a lot of cases, it was in categories that didn't exist. So build the category, right? And don't be afraid to use other channels besides digital. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, you know, one of the big um, terms that we're where we are now, and I know it's a little dated in some ways, but omni-channel, right? And I've always been a big, I know it's called omni-channel now, but I've, I've always been a big proponent of that. That's, you know, and I bring that back to where I started, right? Like I didn't wake up one day and like got into the internet, mm-hmm. you know, like I did, you know, traditional advertising and marketing for eight years, you know, six years, seven years before I went over to the internet. And, and, you know, there's still people that watch TV. There's still people that read, read magazines and all that kind of stuff. And especially when you combine that with the, the digital um, sides of it. Right. So, um, but don't be afraid to like, just, you know, it's, there's a lot more you can do out there than just, you know, banners and buttons and emails. Right. Like, you know, it's about, you know, we, um, you know, we actually considered at one point kind of like jokingly, like we, you know, it's for a dental startup that we would make sandwich boards and go stand out at a conference. Right. Uh, And, and really just, and, and, and when I built the booth, it was a booth, like, and I picked the colors. It was all to stand out. It was in the dental industry. Everything, if you looked at a dental publication, you know, everything was gray. Hmm. And so I chose a color that popped. Mm-hmm. And people would say that when they looked at the magazine, they could see the, you know, the ad for clear because of the, of the, of the, the bright blue. Mm-hmm. And then we took that, you know, when you looked at a, you know, the floor of a conference, everybody was gray pretty much. Right. And we had this big, bright teal blue and all that kind of stuff. And it really attracted people to it. So you, you didn't go with the, the, the purple <clears throat> purple was one of our secondary brand colors. Got it. Um, but it was like trying to figure like, that was the problem was like, we're about to do something that no one's really ever heard of. Right. So I got to do something that really is disruptive. Yeah. I, I love doing things. And that's one of the reasons I was brought in to this company is because they really want to shake things up and do things differently. And so they wanted somebody that had that, that disruption background. So to your point about, you know, the startup working for as a marketer in a startup is agency times a thousand. So by definition, it's almost like if, if someone out there is working for an agency and they enjoy that environment, but they're not sure they want to go to another agency, then working for a startup could be another path for them, just given the familiarity with that sort of environment. That's what yeah. I'm hearing. So then flip it to the other roles that you've had. You worked uh, for large corporations in-house. 
what's the difference if you had to compare and contrast? If you're a marketer that wants to work in those sorts of environments, what can somebody expect or what can they look forward to? Um, well, a slower pace. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why most people go client side is for the slower pace, right? Um, but that that sort of has diminished a bit because of a lot of larger companies, you know, not recently necessarily, but, you know, in the past 10 years have been going more towards, you know, digital and, and emerging channels and things like that. So, you know, the, the pace has picked up. Um, I mean, people told me when I took this job, you're going to be bored. And I was like, I don't know, obviously you've never worked for this kind of company because I'm not bored. Right. There's a lot. And I think it has a lot to do with, um, you know, I mean, I was really careful to make sure that we had top down support for really wanting to do this, you know, digital transformation. And I was told in my interview by um, one of the, the, you know, the, the VP in the, in the group that it's like turning, it will be like turning a, a cruise liner in a bathtub. <laughs> and, I, and I said, well, that's impossible. And they said, yeah, but think about it. You do it. And that's what drives me right now is like, you know, if I can take a cruise liner and turn around a bathtub, that'll be pretty cool. That's right. So, so we think about, you know, kind of your path here again, you've got the experience working for agencies, corporations, startups, working for yourself, even, um, what would you say reflecting back is the biggest mistake or learning in your career path so far? Chasing the money. Mm. Um, I worked at an agency, uh, you know, my first digital agency, um, and I was very happy there, but I was made an offer, uh, and I went there and I regretted it. I enjoyed my time there. Um, and I, and I had a great team and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I'm still friends with, with, you know, a lot of the people there, but when I look back on what I, what I left, um, and what went, how that company evolved, I regret that because. I ran away from something instead of to something. They happened to contact me um, at a time when I wasn't really, I was a little frustrated with what was going on. And I at first said, I'm not interested. And then they kept, you know, I, I ended up getting a very good offer. And, uh, and I, I took it for that reason. Um, and in the long run, I would have been better off staying uh, where I was. And I think a lot of people do that. They chase the money and it's all about, you know, you can get money anywhere, but if you're not happy, like really check out what the environment's like, do your homework on that. Um, but, and, and, you know, I would also say though, if you are going to leave and you're running to something and not a, away from something, um, don't take a counter offer. It never works out. You know, you'll, you'll get more money. But in three to six months, you're going to be unhappy again, and you're going to be looking to leave. And you know, you might have passed up a great opportunity um, based on that because you, you know, you thought that okay, if I stay, you know, because nine times out of ten, the reason people want to leave is not because they feel undercompensated. It's because you know they're not happy with the work they're doing. They're not happy with their. They're not. They don't get along with their boss. Or they don't. They don't agree with the direction of the organization, it's hardly ever about money. So just be very careful when you're looking at that big offer and saying, Hey, all right, I'm going to like, I'm going to make $15,000 more, which I know is a lot of money, 
especially when you're starting out in your career. Right. But really think about what you're leaving versus what you're getting. Love it. Great advice. And we're going to take a quick break and come back and dive deeper into that notion of what sorts of environments cause us to think about running away, which most of the time you hit on it is leadership in marketing roles, which again, something you have a lot of experience in. So let's tap into that after we take a quick break. This episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast is sponsored by Ahrefs Webmaster Tools. Now, as marketers, we know that knowledge is power when it comes to finding ways to, to grow your business. And every marketer has their favorite tool to get that intelligence, to get the insight, but it often comes with that hefty uh, or confusing pricing model. Now, if you're a marketer, you've heard of the tool, the SEO tool, Ahrefs, right? But you, did you know that they now offer access to their main site research products for free? All you need to do is go to hrefs.com slash AWT, and you can access all the power of their site audit and site explorer tools for nothing, for free. So uh, there's even a great walkthrough video when you get there. I'll walk you through and tell you how to get started in, in minutes. Now, listen, this tool goes way beyond what you can get in Google Search Console, and you're unlocking insights for your site that will help you be successful, be more competitive, and listen, the Ahrefs Webmaster Tools aren't just for the SEO team, right? So the content marketing team are going to use this tool to find the right trending topics, key terms, understand how to drive more traffic of the right traffic to your web content. Social media teams can identify which content is actually getting the most earned media and engagement. So, hey, the marketing manager, right? It's time to empower your teams. Let them start making more strategic decisions with Ahrefs for free. And remember, listen, Ahrefs, you don't have to be an SEO pro to rank higher and get more of the right traffic. So get started right now at ahrefs.com forward slash A-W-T. That's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com slash A-W-T. Now let's get back to the episode. Back here with Jerry McGoldrick, marketing executive extraordinaire. Um, And... Picking up a conversation here about something that's very important that I'm seeing in my day-to-day when it comes to talking to marketers is this notion, or not even a notion, but the fact that what we're seeing in marketing departments is there seems to be a lot of underqualified marketing managers. Now, again, I'm not saying that that's everywhere, every place, but um, you know, know that we have Jerry here to tap into his his wisdom. Um you know, what do you think is the, the root cause for some of these environments, agencies, corporations, where there's there's so many poor managers? Uh, well, I think it starts when you're early on in your career, right? Um, you really need to decide. You know, everybody thinks they want to be a manager. Everybody thinks they want to, like, move up. But there are, I've seen a distinct difference between people who can be managers and people who can't and are better off being more of a, what I'll call an individual contributor or more of a subject matter expert. Um, and, you know, because managing people is not a picnic. Um, it's, it's the hardest part of, that I found of, of my job. Um, and, you know, going back to startups for a bit, it, it was, I kind of needed a break a little bit. I, I left GSI to go into start the startup world and I enjoyed working. It was great being back working with four or five people, right. As opposed to 250 mm-hmm. um, and trying to remember all their names. Um, uh, but I, I think that, you know, it's leadership is something that I, and management is something I enjoy. Um, and I think that the key to a good 
manager is someone who is empathetic, um, open to new ideas, um, and realizes that they don't know it all. And I know this is a cliche, but surround yourself with really smart people, people that are smarter than you. That's really what I've done. Um, I didn't know you don't always have to, just because you're the leader or the manager doesn't mean you have to be the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it took a while to kind of, to grasp that. And I think that's one of the mistakes that a bad marketing manager makes is they feel like, because they're the boss that they, everything has to be their idea and everything. And they need to be the one who takes all the credit. And so it's really, I feel like my job and for a long, long time, 20 some years has been to empower the folks that work with me um, and make them rock stars. And I've been criticized like, you know, you, you let, you let these guys take too much of the spotlight, you know, and people don't realize like, Okay, you know, I as you know, Eric, I've played in a band for 20 years. I've I got my share of the spotlight, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot under the spotlight. But that's how you retain people. Right. You know, you let them you, you empower them to do their best work. You give them the credit. You you make sure people know whose whose idea that was. You don't steal ideas. You don't you, you, you know, you may have a better idea, but vet both of them or all of them, right? Let the team decide or whatever, but or the client decide. But it's really, I think that's where people, people leave companies because they feel underappreciated for them. I feel like that's the, probably the number one reason. They're like, what am I doing this for? I'm, I'm, I'm like busting my butt and like, I'm not, no one's recognizing me and recognition doesn't have to come in money. It could be an Amazon gift card. It could just be a, hey, great job. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, an email to the whole team calling someone out, you know? And I think when you do something like that, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people will be like, well, you don't want to do that because then someone will be mad they, that you didn't do it for them. And my philosophy is, hey, I think it motivates people to do better. You want you want to get this kind of email written about you? Mm-hmm. Look at what they did, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, in terms of management and leadership, I've worked with a lot of good ones and I've worked with way more bad ones. And that's where I've developed my style is by looking at the bad ones and saying, all right, I never want to be that person. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with my unique background in that, like, I play music, right? Like, I, I, I like to have fun. Um I don't, you know, I, I, I like take my work seriously, but I, I, I also know that we're all human and we just want to have fun. And, and I think that, you know, when you, when you put all that together, I'm not that typical business school, Ivy league graduate, learned it all from a book kind of guy, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm Jerry from Delco, right. I'm from Ripley. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, you know, you just, in Delco, it's all about keeping it real. You know, and that's what it's all about, about just being human. And and I, I see these young managers come up and they think like, all right, I'm now the manager. I need to be a jerk. Right. right? And it's like, OK, you're just you, you made everybody quit. Right? right. You know, so that doesn't work. Well, we had a, we had a conversation on one of our pandemic Zoom calls with our our network. And I remember the story of uh, someone saying that. You know, when I became a manager, I realized that was the time where I 
couldn't necessarily go to all the happy hours. Not that I didn't want to, I could still go, but I couldn't be the old me. I had to be a little bit more polished and professional. And I think that was a, a kind of a wake up call when you realize that you're taking on a responsibility that is beyond just the title and the, and the salary. That's how you want to portray yourself. Now, that's for anybody who wants a longstanding career in marketing. We've seen a lot of people abuse the privilege, and, and next thing you know, they're they're fired. But the the sad part, from what I see, is that there's think about everyone listening. You know, think about your manager and how would you rate them in terms of good, bad, or indifferent. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people out there that think their manager is okay, but from the perspective of another person they're probably working for a bad manager and they don't know any different. And that's unfortunate, which again, that's just why we, you know, want to seek fulfilling career paths in marketing is because we want to get that flavor from different types of managers. Cause I can tell you, there's a lot of people listening that don't realize how good they could have it because the manager that they do have, uh, uh, well, isn't, isn't good. I think they confuse like a nice person with a good manager, right? A good manager right. is somebody who will push you someone that you will constantly be learning from. If you're not constantly learning and upping your game and they're not helping you do that, they're not doing their job. If if your definition of a good manager is just somebody who leaves you alone and doesn't <laughs> yell at you, like that's not a good manager. Like you're going to have to have some tough conversations with people on both sides and look at that as a learning experience, just like back to the bad clients, you know, like, you know, just because, you know, you get, you know, you're told that you're doing something wrong doesn't mean that you're, you know, that person thinks you're useless or worthless. It's really, but it is all about the delivery of it, right? So, you know, I've had people make big mistakes, um, you know, and, you know, I sit down with them and I say, hey, all right, you know, we're not going to go into it. We know what happened, right? I'm not going to sit here and waste my time yelling at you. I can tell you already feel bad enough. Let's talk about why it happened and how we're going to, we're going to have it, have it happen again. Right. Right. And that, and then use that as a growth opportunity and a teaching moment, right? Managers should be teachers just as mm -hmm. much as they are, you know, um, bosses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make. They think that, and, and also um, a common mistake is people think I, when I become a manager, my job gets easier. It actually gets harder. Right. You know, and like, you know, I'm working harder now than I ever have. Um, and I have a team of like, you know, 50 or 60 people, Right. you know? So it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's because it, I gotta, I gotta make sure that all of them are, we're all like going down the same path together. Right. I mean, just in, in work I've been doing working inside of companies and seeing some of these multi-layered marketing teams and organizations where, you know, it, it really is great to see great managers at work. Like you said, they're trying to build trust with their team members and they're trying to develop them knowing that, listen, if you're a manager of a marketing team, you expect someone on your team to be there for 25 years or even 10 years. Good luck. Um, I calibrated my thinking probably 10 years ago when hiring people, knowing that I, I have them for two years. And I'm not going to be surprised. As a matter of fact, I encourage them to use this as a stepping stone to get to their eventual next stop because you knew we were in an industry that was basically creating the next rock stars in the e-commerce marketing space. So 
I, w- I stopped getting kind of bent out of shape when somebody would give notice. And I realized it as an opportunity to see them actually go- start from one point and evolve to another point. And, you know, I tell this to everybody is that when someone gives notice or gave notice on my team, the first thing I would say to them is congratulations, as opposed to some managers that say, you know, you're, you know, you're making a bad decision. Let me get you a counter offer and being more selfish about the situation as opposed to supportive of somebody who's about to advance their career. So, yeah, um, most people's first responses, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Even if the person's a rock star, I mean, some people you don't mind giving nah, like, and, another story. And I always look at it as an opportunity to, you know, no offense to the people that leave, but like I was just having this conversation a week or so ago, like, Oh, well, if I do this, then that person will leave. Okay. You think there's like not a dearth of people that are like, want to come work at this company in this space. Right. You know, like let's, let's use it as an opportunity to like upgrade. Right. You know, and, and everything's an opportunity and, and, and yeah, yeah. You can't hold it against them because you got to have those relationships. And I mean, I just think about, you know, being, I'm talking to you, but even throughout my whole career, you know, the where I kind of gauge myself is, you know, when I look at the people that, that work for me and where they are now, you know, yeah, there's a lot of success stories there. There is, there is. And uh, uh, that's what, you know, I, I look at and say, okay, great. Like they may not always, you know, um, you know, been the smartest people or in most cases they were, but you know, but they, they figured it out. Right. And, Maybe they have to make that move and make that mistake if it is a mistake uh, to learn. But everything, you know, it's it's not personal, right? Right. right. I, I get asked all the time, like, you're talking to that person? That person <laughs> did that to you. And it's like, okay, yeah, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, like, I'm over it, you know, yeah. 56 years old, you know, like, right. I can't be carrying grudges. Right. Now, so in your experience, again, someone listening out there that says, oh, my gosh, I actually am working for somebody who is not supportive of my development. They just want me to push buttons and sit in a, you know, check my timesheets and, and do my work. You know, how do you deal with that? What, what should they be doing to address the fact that there is a bad manager? Is it, is it salvageable? I mean, what have you done in your career when you've had that bad layer of management or boss? Uh, honestly, I left. <laughs> 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 just that's an option that's an option uh, but i will tell you i think you may know what i'm talking about but i had a situation where i w- really really loved my job mm-hmm. um and had been very successful at it and i was put in a position to work with for somebody who was a bad manager mm-hmm. and i did all the right things i talked to try to talk to them um i got nothing but like anger back i went to human resources and they were like well you just kind of have to deal with it you know kind of thing and so i left and so you kind of have to i'm going to say if that person's a bad manager they're you know if they're incompetent that's one thing if they're incompetent and have a and and for lack of a better word mean Mm -hmm. or just kind of a you know a a jerk you have no other choice you're not going to change them Um, and so, you know, you can look for a role, you know, under somebody else you can, you know, if you don't want to leave the company, but, you know, I'm just going to be honest that, 
you know, if the person is bad and no one, you know, I would say go through the proper channels first, but um, I've not seen success there because that person, if that person got hired, they probably got hired by a bad manager. Right. So, right. And yourself. So then you're like, oh my God, the leadership of the whole organization's in question. And at that point, you just have to leave. But I would encourage open conversation. And, you know, you're taking a risk. I get that. Um, but, you know, if you really like working there and like the people you're working with, you should give it a shot. But I'm going to say that most of the time, you're probably going to end up having to, to go somewhere else um, and get the most out of that before you do that. Right. Uh, gather all your wins and accomplishments as you know that you're transitioning out. Right. So let's flip it and go to the other side. So speak to those that are in the CMO role, those that are in the VPN marketing role, those that are in charge of significant influence over a team of marketers. And they're probably maybe listening, saying like, yeah, I could probably do a better job or you know, there's that saying, if, if you look around the executive table, you don't see the jerk, you are the jerk. Um, if, mm. if, they, if they recognize that, what's your advice to that leadership layer on, in terms of, um, you know, acknowledging or enhancing their, their, their management styles? Well, I think it all starts at the top, right? You know, we worked for Michael Rubin at GSI Commerce, and Michael was not an easy person to work for, but he was a great leader. Mm-hmm. Because he was fair, he was he was even tempered, um, he was demanding. Um, but I think if you think back, like I learned a ton working there, um, interacting with him, and so and you know, um, but you know he had a few hits and a few misses, right? Um, and I think that um, you know you really have to be honest with yourself and say, okay. You know, if if you're like, again, I, I'm a little, I'm different, right? So if I start seeing people quit over and over again, mm-hmm. and I start feeling, and people start calling in sick, and people are going on short-term disability because, you know, they're stressed, you know, like, I would say like, all right, I got to look at what the problem is here, right? But so many people ignore that and do the whole it's not me it's them right right and i think it's all comes down to being just being self-aware and being honest with yourself you know and 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 being able to look yourself in the mirror and like you know and again it's easier said than done because you know a lot of people will just say like that's my job and it's not right it's not your job to make people leave it's so, your job to make people stay. And what are some other signals that you've seen that you hit on a nice one there where it's like you start seeing all these these uh, vacations happen when they typically don't? What are some other signals for, for marketing managers that you may have a problem that you're not aware of that you need to need to double down on? Yeah. Taking Wednesday afternoon off, usually a big sign. Because <laughs> what can you do on a Wednesday afternoon, right? You know, like, so anyway. Um, um, and so, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? <laughs> oh, it, it, so it's 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 uh, I'm a, I'm a manager of a marketing team, and what signals should I be looking for that tell me that I may have a problem here that I need to address? That that oh my gosh, it's probably me that is influencing the fact that all these things are happening. Where are some of those? I mean, signals? there's early signs, right? Like people lose their their um, enthusiasm. 
mm-hmm. right? You go into a meeting and no one asks questions, no one, re- you know, responds. They're all just sitting there looking like they'd rather be 15 million other places besides in that meeting. Um, it's, you know, like I said, you know, all of a sudden people start disappearing. Um, you see, you know, their performance drop. I mean, that's that's a big sign, right? Where someone that was, uh, you know, performing at a high level all of a sudden is not. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, what happened? And you have to, and you have to talk to them, right? It's not, you know, there's this ivory tower where you, and I know there's a lot of open space. Well, there's actually everyone's working from home now, but, you know, like before, like you just couldn't sit in your office. And I'm sure you remember, you know, I, that's why I would walk around. Yeah. And all the IMs would light up. He's walking, he's walking. But it was really just to kind of like make, let people know that I was there. Right. Yeah. And that, that, you know, I, I you come talk to me and, and I would try to resolve it, but you know, too many people, and that's the team mentality. I'm a huge believer in team mentality. My team right now, it's, you know, our thing is one team, one dream because the company was and still is in a lot of silos. Mm. And my department, was in silos. They were four different groups in my group that weren't speaking to each other. They didn't know what the other one was doing and they were all highly dependent on each other. And so that's why the one team, one dream um, thinking about, but it's really about if you're a manager, you got to rely on your team. Mm-hmm. You can't try to do it yourself. And, you know, if, and, and unfortunately I know I'm not necessarily answering your question, but I, I don't, I think if you get to a certain level, and you haven't figured out that you're a bad manager, you're not going to figure it out. Right? You know, yeah. you're going to continue to be that. And, you know, you're going to have to <clears throat> unfortunately try to wave through like, you know, because if you have a CEO that, you know, thinks your style is great, you know, that CEO is going to be gone in a few years. And then you got to like, and chances are you're not going to get that same type of personality because they're going to bring in somebody different, mm-hmm. with a different approach. And then you're going to be, you know, not in a good place. Right. Trying well, really hard not to curse here Eric, and say other things. <laughs> That's okay. Well, I know that that um, you know, I think through th- some of the signals that that would be evident of, you know, some 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 issues to worry about if you're running a marketing team and things that we've seen, right? So the happy hours stop happening. Um or yeah. the, the gatherings that were in public spaces are now secret well, it's conversations. Funny, it's, it's funny that you say that, right? There's two things I would say. One is um, to your point about the person who didn't get invited, you know, can't get all the happy hours. Like, you know, I'm a very social person, but I find that if I, 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 you know, I don't need to be, if I don't get invited to a happy hour, I look at that as a good thing, right? Because they know that there's that line, right? They know that I'm still there for them, but they don't need to be my friend. Right. Right. Um, and, and to your second point about the, you know, the corners, I have a, um, a person, a, a very good friend of, of ours, um, who, you know, let, you know, put up a post on Facebook about the fact that they, you know, they weren't, they didn't have to cry in the parking lot anymore. And I was blown away because that person was having a really bad time and I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, you know, that, and, and, so it, my point is it kind of goes both ways, right? Um, and that was a big lesson learned for me to, to kind of go past, you know, this a long time ago. 
but to go past that initial level and really check in with everybody that you find valuable and even the ones you don't find valuable, right? Because you can turn people around, you know, right. I've done it with people who, you know, they were in a role. I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, I don't know. I just was told to do this. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I want to do project management, made them a project manager. Boom. And it's the big saying that I always do is, you know, the whole <clears throat> good to great about <clears throat> getting the right people on the bus. It's not about just getting them on the bus. It's putting them in the right seats. Right. Right. Well, I mean, you trans that everything you just said is transferable, I believe, into this this remote workforce environment where you may not be able to see people in corners of physical buildings, but you, you do know you cameras on, you know, like someone who was always had their camera on now doesn't. Yeah. That's it's another that's right. That's right. And and you you can become aware of those um group chats that again you were in but aren't in. Um so again, just just things to keep think about as we talk about this this idea of marketing managers, marketing management, how to address it, be aware of it. Because again, I think what I would love the audience to do now is to think through your environment. And if you're working for somebody, are they good? Are they doing what they should be doing? Are they good or bad managers? And if you're managing people, what can you be doing better? Um, last topic I want to cover here before we wrap is my favorite topic. Oh, we're going to wrap? Well, soon. <laughs> I'll drop a beat and then we'll go. Um, rap tunes since, uh, well, we won't. Is uh, the, the marketing interview. And again, I know that you've, you've seen a ton. You probably have some some good, bad, and ugly stories about I interviewing. One day I want to write a book about it. Good, because I'm happy to write the uh, the forward from across the table. <laughs> stories of a marketing manager. Um, what is it? So again, my my personal belief is that marketing interviews are much different than any other industry in terms of the value that anybody can bring to the conversation. But I guess from your perspective. What is it that is the thing that every interviewer for a marketing job needs to do? Ask questions, I would say, and, and not wait till the end. Make it a conversation. Ask questions throughout the, the, the interview. And some questions uh, that you've been asked are what? You know, I would say, tell me a little bit about this. And they would say, well, all right. Um, well, let me ask you a question first. I love when people do that. Yep. Are you talking about this or are you talking about that? You know, like, or, you know, like, you, you know, just something, you know, when I, you know, you're talking, you know, and, and you get done, they say, before we go to the next question, can I just ask you a little bit about, I want to dig in a little there. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff, right? That tells me they're hungry, right? They're hungry for information. And I know, again, it's a cliche, but there is nothing worse than getting to the end of the interview and saying, do you have any questions? And then saying, no. Or even if they, even if you've interviewed with four other people or five other people already, ask the same questions. Because I can tell you, I'm very, I've been very involved with hiring. I'm very involved with hiring now. And it's the first thing people bring up when they do the regroup is that they didn't ask any questions. They only had one question. You know, be prepared with your questions and just be prepared overall. Like I said, do your homework and, and, and make it a conversation. And not one way. And don't don't make it about the the questions I hate. Well, what's the vacation policy? Okay, you haven't gotten (laughs) a job yet. And I've been asked that. I was asked, you know, well, my dad says I should get stock. 
okay, well, good for your dad. Maybe wow. he can get you some stock. Um, I was asked by one person. Um, so what's what's the um, severance package like? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? And I'm like, well, you know, I've gotten fired from my last two jobs and they didn't have any severance. So my boyfriend said, should I because ask for or girlfriend? I forget who it was, but it was a, boy, a man or a woman. But, you know, they told me I should ask for um, a, get a severance package this time. Wow. <laughs> and I'm thinking all I'm thinking is, how did they get here? Yeah. You know, like and I think that's, you know, one of the things like, you know, you got to make sure you're you're selling everybody. You're selling the HR person, the recruiter, the HR person, everybody on up to whoever. Um, and, and that's where the sales comes from. Like, really sell yourself. And, you know, and and. And, and the worst, another bad thing is like giving two or three word answers, right? Like, yeah, yeah, no, I would like that. Uh, why? Like, yeah. one thing I hate is when I have to ask why. Right. Why? Like, you should always know that I'm going to want to know the why, and the interviews are going to want to know the why. You just go there. Right. Don't make the interviewer have to work for you for it. So, so in your career, in in getting the roles that you have, obviously you're doing something right in the interviews because you've been securing these jobs. Is there one specific tip that you do that really lets you uh, win the interview? Um, well, <laughs> two answers to that. I would say the first is networking. Yeah. Um, I would say that's one of the most important things you can do in a career is network and meet as many people as possible and develop relationships because they've been who have driven, have gotten me a lot of the, like got me in the door Mm -hmm. or even references and it's about you know so i'm fortunate to know a lot of people in a little bit in a lot of different places and so and i i i did that early on where when i was a media buyer planner you know everybody had the like oh the reps are bad they're evil like treat them like crap and i'm like they're the ones who are going to know where the jobs are mm -hmm. my next job so i had a whole different approach and and actually worked with them you know more cordially and, and really paid off. But I would say that building your network, because that's usually like, if it comes down to, and I see it all the time, you know, this person or that person, and that person knows some has gotten a reference from somebody we all know, mm -hmm. have known that that person is probably going to win out, right? If it comes down to it. But the second thing would be, <clears throat> you know, I, I think that it was about asking the right questions. You know, and develop. It's the Andy Reid thing, right? He got the Eagles job because he came in with the playbook, and I've been doing that. I come in like, even if I'm not asked for it, um, I come in with like ideas around, like what I ask a lot of questions to the recruiter, whoever I'm talking to initially, and then when I get to that next part, when I'm talking to the higher ups or whoever, I'm already there. I'm already talking about what I'm going to be doing. I'm not talking about what I did in the past. I'm talking about what I'm going to be doing for them. Got it. Um, any uh, cringeworthy stories from interviewing on either side? Oh, besides the one that asked me about for the severance package? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say uh, it's hard. There are so many of them. I think um, um, the person who, um, and this is more recently, um, asked to use the men's uh, the bathroom before they uh before we continued and they never came back oh my gosh yeah so 
That was probably like, we're sitting there we're like, what's going on? Where do you think they went? You know, like, then we went in and they were gone. Oh my gosh. And we never heard from them again. Well, save you, save your time. You got, you got an hour back, right? Oh, well, it was, no, it was halfway through. So we already had to use a half an hour. So. Oh. Yeah. He was like, can I, can I just, I know, can I just use the bathroom? We're right. like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. So they're sitting there five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Like, uh, and so. Did you ever have a candidate bring in a parent? Did I have a candidate bring in a parent? No. I think I had one, a couple that were, they were waiting outside, you know, almost. I've, I've had that when I was at iFrontier and we were down in, uh, in, in South Philadelphia before, you know, it's a lot of uh, carpentry street before carpentry became what it is now. Um, it was a lot of abandoned buildings and stuff. And um, the guy told me that his, his mom was waiting outside because she was afraid that he said he, he probably wouldn't be able to take the job because his mom drove him here and said, I'm not letting you work in this neighborhood. From a safety standpoint, right. I, I think yeah. what, when someone referred to their parent in an interview that I had, it was from a, in case they had questions for me standpoint, because they were going to go debrief their parent. And if the parent had questions, they're going to come back in. No, uh, no. I mean, I think probably the most cringeworthy one we can wrap up if you want, or we can just keep talking, <laughs> um, is... I was bribed. Uh, I was, it was early on in my digital career and the young person um, was dating a, a basketball player who was about to be drafted. And they told me they would be able to get me season tickets. Um, if they I got gave, hired, if they got hired. Wow. And I was like, no, I didn't. And by the way, that person didn't get drafted. Um, yeah. Oh, well. So, um, so, so wrapping up everything that we talked about here again, tons of uh, great tips here on the marketing career. But I guess again, as a career moments episode, the question for you is: What would you say would be the most impactful marketing career moment for you? <clears throat> um, hmm. the most impactful, I would say, is when, um. Well, I would say it's probably when I um, left GSI and went to buy with me mm -hmm. um, because it exposed me to a whole new world. Um, I worked with one of the best management teams I've ever worked with. Mm -hmm. we, we would fight like cats and dogs. Then we go to the bar afterwards. It was, it was never personal, but we were all aligned on what we were trying to do. Mm. And we were all going down that path. And that really showed me the importance of, going towards one thing. If you have a management team where one person wants to do this and one person wants to do that, that's never going to work. Right. Um, but we were, we were walk, you know, we, we believed in our CEO and we were all bought into what his vision was and we were all marching towards that. So, I mean, that's great advice again for anybody at, at whatever level it is where there's a team has to align and be heading in the same direction. But that's also the moment where you went from agency to non-agency, right? Yep. So, so that for those that are in their 10th year in an agency, uh, there could be some more opportunities there if you consider a different path. Um, but again, nothing wrong with working for an agency yeah, for 30, wanted, 30 years. But I wanted to be a CMO um, and that was the opportunity and I had a bad manager. But I did have three going away parties that were pretty epic, I think. So... Um, 
yeah, thank God we didn't take pictures. Um, no, we did actually. <laughs> so Jerry, appreciate your time. Uh, if somebody wants to connect with you, maybe learn more about that going away party or ask questions about their uh, marketing career in some of these different environments, how can they get in touch with you? Um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Jerry McGoldrick. You can, um, my email address is uh, jerry.mcgoldrick at gmail.com. Jerry with a G and then M-C-G-O-L-D-R-I-C-K which is my rap name, MC Goldrick. So if it makes it easier for you to, to spell it that way. Got it. And I will share links to that in the show notes. Uh, so Jared, again, appreciate it. And uh, best of luck um, in your role. All right. Thanks, Eric. Stay handsome. You got it. I know for sure that that conversation could have gone on for a couple more hours, but a big thanks to Jerry for spending time with me on this episode. Listen, definitely check the show notes for ways to connect with with Jerry. I know he'd be happy to help answer any questions you have about your marketing career based on his experience. Uh, so definitely connect with him. Listen, I enjoyed his perspective on a couple of things. First, you know, developing client relationships. It's all about being a human, right? Um, signals to look for in a bad marketing manager. You know, if you're not being pushed or developed, um, you know, that's that's a number one signal and how to deliver value during an interview and i loved his his story or analogy about bringing your playbook to the to the conversation right assume you're in the role and come to the interview with some ideas so tons of tips that you can implement into your current or next marketing role so uh love to hear how that goes for you now if you have questions or need help with anything about your marketing career moments uh send us an email connect at the marketinghelp.co again connect at the marketinghelp.co co uh, until the next episode this is your host eric harbison with just one important question for you what action can you take today to advance your marketing career